One of the things I love to do on vacation is vacation, but I love, I love to read biographies. I don't always get to do it. It's not every summer or something like that I get to do it, but last summer I got to read a big fat biography. It was enjoyable getting away and it's inspiring. You get to learn about someone's life and how they made a difference. Oftentimes biographies are about leaders, not always, but uh, people who stand out and did something significant and so I read a biography last summer of Charles Hodge, and I like Charles Hodge, and it was, it was wonderful. It was blissful. You can tell I'm thinking about summer, right? Oh, it just smells like summer in books. But one thing I found when I was reading the biography was that there were things about Charles Hodge that were disappointing. They were disappointments. I found out things about him and different aspects of his life that that I didn't like. It didn't make me like him more. Um, I like the good stuff, not the bad stuff. But a good biography doesn't just tell you the good stuff. It tries to tell you reality, the good stuff and the bad stuff. In fact, there's a, there's a label for biographies that only tell you the good stuff. Hagiography. Just wanted to give you a big multi-syllable word. Uh, hagiography paints it all positive. They're, they're, they're holy people. They're only good. And usually that means it's not a very good biography because there's none righteous, no, not one. Um, everyone, even the greatest of leaders, your very, very favorite leaders, no matter who they are, I guarantee you uh, they have clay feet. Um, there are shortcomings. There are weaknesses. There are sins. It's disappointing, but it's reality when it comes to leaders. The one exception would be the one who the Bible calls the chief shepherd, the ultimate leader, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who could have a hagiography written about him because he was the perfect shepherd, the one who lays his life down for his sheep and he loses none of them. He's successful to the very end, according to John chapter 10, and, but he and he alone is that kind of leader. In 1 Peter chapter 5, which is where we're going to be today, we learn about the one who is called the chief shepherd, the ultimate caregiver, the ultimate provider, the ultimate protector, uh, the ultimate leader, the ultimate shepherd, who is none other than Christ. But what we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, and in just a moment we'll read the opening verses, is that ultimate, awesome, trustworthy, perfect shepherd does in fact have those who are supposed to lead under his authority. We might call them under-shepherds. If he's the chief shepherd, there are to be those who are under his authority, and it's his plan and purpose in the time when we're living, between his ascension when he left and his return when he comes again, for him to be leading in the life of the church through under-shepherds, pastors who are not perfect, pastors who have clay feet, but nonetheless pastors who are supposed to lead in His name and under His authority. And we're going to learn about them this morning. So if you would, let's go ahead and look at the opening five verses. We'll read the, all the verses now and then go back and look at the details. If you're just joining us, welcome. Glad you're here. We're studying through First Peter uh, as a church, and it's all about living as those who belong to Christ. We have all the great benefits and promises that are eternal and wonderful, but we're not 
experiencing them now because this is not the new Jerusalem. So we're waiting. We're exiles. We're strangers. This is not our ultimate home. And it's hard. And it's filled with suffering. So we're learning about how to live successfully in the in-between time. And part of doing that is having leadership. We're not called to do this alone. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So... I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First four verses directed toward the leaders during this in-between time. And then the last verse is directed toward everyone in response to the leaders and in general. What I'd like to do this morning as we look at more of the details, and again, this is designed to equip and help each of us deal with the difficulty time that we're living in now where we don't belong and we feel awkward because we should, because this is in heaven. Leaders are supposed to help us in the process, okay? And so uh, I've organized my thoughts around eight questions that I think this passage answers. Some of the questions will be very, very obvious in our text. Um, It it begs questions. Um, At least a couple of the questions are not from this text. It's more from our churchianity kind of culture. Uh, So I mean them with a little bit of a wink um, and a little bit of a jab but our text answers some of those questions. So eight questions to help us to look closer at the details. I hope this helps to equip you. I hope it helps to equip me. Um, Question number one, how important is this and why? How important is this instruction and why? And I want to say it's so important that according to chapter 5, verse 1, the apostle Peter, who knows stuff about things, The Apostle Peter says, I exhort, I strongly urge. There's urgency, there's significance. It tells us something of the importance. I urge you leaders to be thinking this way and to be acting this way. That right there tells us something of its importance. It's Peter talking, but it's Peter urging. This is important. Leaders get this. Followers get this. You need to know this to to maneuver and function in this complicated time. That tells us something of its importance. Also, something of its importance is seen in the the metaphor, in the image that he uses. In verse 2, shepherd, it's the word for pastor, to care, provide, protect, all of that. But but notice it goes on to say in verse 2, shepherd what? The flock of God. So Christians, using the metaphor, Christ is is to be the ultimate shepherd and leaders shepherding under Him, but Christians are called the flock. 
But notice importance coming off the page there. It's not just the flock, it's the flock of God. Believers belong to God. The church belongs to God. And so here, as a leader, I hear this and say, this is really important, this is really significant, because I'm called urgingly to shepherd, but I'm called urgingly to shepherd not my flock, my church, my congregation, my people, although I hope all that's true because of personal relationships. It's the flock of God. Big deal. Super important. I've said for years, and will keep saying it, I treat my own stuff a certain way, depending on what it is. But when I have occasion to borrow someone else's stuff, I go out of my way to try to be as careful as I possibly can because I don't want to break your stuff. I, I want to get it back to you as nice, if not nicer, than when I borrowed it. My dad pretty much preached to us our whole lives, don't borrow anything from anyone. Because you're going to break it. And if you don't break it, they're going to break it and they're going to blame you for breaking it. Right? Fences make good neighbors kind of thing. I can just hear my dad lecturing us about not borrowing stuff. He didn't like to lend stuff either, by the way. My dad would have put his initials on everything. Lee Abendroth, L.A., everything. He would carve it. He would buy these carving things. Everything had L.A. Boats had L.A. on it. Beer koozies had L.A. on it. I mean, whatever it was, L.A. And the funny thing is my dad's best friend, they had a cabin next to ours in South Dakota, and his name was Gary, Gary Labs. And so he would find my dad's beer koozie in L.A. B.S. Anyway, I had no plan to talk about beer koozies or my dad. Um, where were we? If it's someone else's, I'm going to be extra careful. The flock is not mine. And so that's sobering to my mind to think it's the flock of God, so you'd better be careful about any kind of shepherding you do. It's important. It's a big deal. The sheep belong to Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 15, I alluded to it earlier. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus did that for you. I didn't do that for you. So I'd better be careful with the way I treat you because you belong to Him. It's also important because of very real dangers. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets, people who claim to speak for God like preachers. False prophets who come to you in what kind of clothing? They come to you in sheep's clothing. Probably not pastors dressed up like sheep. Okay? This is, it's not, this is not a Halloween kind of text. This isn't some kind of costume party. Probably the idea is they're false prophets, and they come to you in, what kind of clothing do you think? Shepherd's clothing. They're dressed up like shepherds, when in fact they're false teachers. That's how a lot of people take that. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves, so there are real dangers. 
It's also important because it's very easy to be confused about what pastors are supposed to do and not do. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6, and I promise we'll go faster on some of the other questions. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6. When he, uh, it says this about Jesus, excuse me. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I want to keep reading in a second. But in our day, we, and, and in other days, we think, oh, they're like sheep without a shepherd, so I wonder what Jesus does. You know, we could do fill in the blank. So he pet them. Because that's what you do with cute little sheep. Or he taught them lots of life lessons. Or he scolded them. Or he, all different kinds of things and all different kinds of books have been written. This is a serious matter. It goes on to say, they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. He's teaching them. How do you shepherd people? You teach them. What am I trying to do all the time? I'm trying to give you the words of Christ because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so this is an important matter to be careful about how you shepherd the flock of God among you. And I'm trying to do my very best by giving you the words of Christ because His sheep hear His voice and follow Him. I'm trying to not give you something other than that. I'm trying to not do something other than teach. Teach you about Christ. It's so interesting to me, and we're going to move on in just a second, I promise, of how many times when as a pastor I do what I'm supposed to do and people don't like it, but they want me to do something I'm not supposed to do. It's very confusing. In light of the chief shepherd, in light of the fact that the flock belongs to him, I want to do what he says and I want to feed sheep as well as other things that he would have me to do. Okay, let's move on to the second question. So this is important. I hope we see that. Another question that it answers. What is Peter's vantage point? What is, what, what, from where is he sitting when he writes this? Where is he standing? I think that gives us some insight into our passage. Well, let's go ahead and see in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So he's writing as a peer. As a fellow er, er, elder... He's writing as a peer, uh, one who knows the practicalities of this and has experience, and, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So there he's, he's talking about as an eyewitness of someone who was around Christ and Christ's suffering. Remember our book tells us Christ suffered for our sins and to bring us to God, but he also calls us to suffer in light of that, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. So here he is, and by the way, chapter 1, verse 1, has him writing as an apostle. So he's writing from an apostle authority position who was with Christ. An apostle is one who saw Christ suffer, so that fits that. But he's not only writing from the position of authority, he is writing from a position of authority, but also as a peer, as, as let, me, let me tell you what to do here. And he's been emphasizing in the book how we'll see Christ return and be glorified with him and we're waiting for his, his, his appearing. And he's saying, I'm with you guys. I'm waiting for that too. Equally with you. Let's move on to the next question. A little bit tongue-in-cheek here. How can this help, this passage, help celebrity pastors? 
because we have a lot of celebrity pastors. Lots and lots of celebrity pastors. How does our text help them? I think it helps them by, in one sense, telling them to mind their own business. And go pastor your celebrity congregation, which isn't here. And I'm saying this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but a little bit seriously as well, more seriously. Because do notice our text says, so I exhort the elders among you. These are the leaders among the flock who've been given this responsibility to shepherd. Then in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. He's not writing to the big dogs. He's writing to the elders in a local congregation like here. And who's given responsibility to give oversight? The elders of a local congregation like here. So remember that. Remember that if you're an elder, that you're called to do this. It's not somebody else's job. And if you are part of the flock, remember who's called to give oversight. It's not big wig pastor, big dog so-and-so who doesn't know you even after you shake their hand and ask them to sign your Bible. What are you thinking? This is a good reminder for us. Doesn't mean we can't admire people for their giftedness. We have a bookstore out there, by the way, that I love. Doesn't mean I can't listen to R.C. Sproul sermons and love R.C. Sproul. Or Sinclair Ferguson or whoever your favorite person is, provided they're good. I'm not so insecure as to say, and as of right now, we're going to cancel the bookstore, and you're not, I'm going to police your house, and you can't listen to any podcasts, because I'm the big dog. I'm not suggesting that. But let's remember, we've created a special category for celebrities. And they're, by definition, not in touch. Think about it. I like bringing celebrity pastors here sometimes so that you all can see that they're not so big and they're not so dog. <laughs> There's regular people with, with quirks and issues. It's actually one of the reasons I like to do that. So that we can lower status and see, you know what, they're, they're, they're like we are. Let's go on to number four, another question this answers. What does this tell us about church leadership hierarchies? What does this tell us about church leadership hierarchies? Tells us they are bogus. Notice it's the elders... And what are the elders, what are they supposed to do? They're to shepherd, that's the word for pastor. And what are they supposed to do? Saying it a little bit differently in verse 2. Shepherd the flock, elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, pastor the flock of God that is among you. And then it says exercising oversight. Exercising their bishoping is the word. So sometimes we say, oh, 
you've got the super duper leader is the bishop in the denomination I grew up with and they, that guy had a bigger necklace when he visited okay there was, when there was trouble the bishop came big necklace that's all I remember and then you might have a pastor and then maybe elders below or vice versa or something it's so interesting in the New Testament here in our passage you have all three words used and they're talking about the same people talking about the same people doing certain things. As a matter of fact, I don't, I'm not trying to be complicated or, or anything. Elders, presbyteros, sounds like what? Presbyterian. The Presbyterian church is the elder church. Okay, so you've got the, the presbyteros, the elders. Sounds like kind of a funny word, huh, kids? Presbyteros. You have the elders, they're to shepherd... Poimano just means pastor. And then you have oversight, episcopeo. Sounds like episcopalian. Bishop, King James. They're to oversee. They're all talking about the same people, or to keep with today's theme, the same dogs. So it just helps us to know. We might say elder so and so. We might say pastor so-and-so. We might say bishop so-and-so. I kind of like that. <laughs> it's talking about the same people. Under Christ's authority. Well, let's move on. And we can look at First Timothy and Titus for cross-references and qualifications. We're not going to do that this morning. Fifth question that our text answers, and I think this is really the, the, the nub of it. This is really the focus of this passage. And, it, and the question is, what must characterize pastoral oversight? What must characterize pastoral oversight? So this is for you if you are a, an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop. This is what it looks like for you to serve in God's flock, among God's flock, under the chief shepherd whose name is Jesus, this is the kind of leader you're supposed to be. Okay? And if you're not one of those kinds of people, uh, these are the kind of leaders you would want to have. These are the kind of leaders you would pray for. These are the kind of leaders you would expect. Um, these are, if you would ever aspire to be a, such a leader, this is what you'd want to aspire toward and not something else. So let's go ahead and see. Multiple parts. Verse 2, the latter part, not under compulsion. So they're to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not under compulsion is how the ESV says it. Um, he's borrowing a term that would be used... Um, for someone who would do their civic duty. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run for office because not because of fame and fortune or what's in it for me, but there's such a great need here and I seem to have the skill set and ability to help with this issue that's going on in my community. I'm going to do it. I'm going to volunteer to do it is, is kind of the idea. It is the idea. Not under compulsion. It's not because you have to. It's not because you're made to. It's not because you're guilted into it. It's not because your number came up, sort of like jury duty. Not under compulsion. No, I, I, I want to do this. 
even if there is, remember our bigger picture of suffering, even if there's a cost involved. And I think this probably needs to be brought into consideration. When times get tough and the pressure is coming on people who are Christians, like in this time, there might be a greater, the Bible's time, there might be a greater cost involved if you say, yeah, and I'm one of those overseers, leaders, pastors, bishops, elders. Whether they meet in my house or someone else, I'm actually responsible for this. Well, even if there's suffering and a cost involved, don't be feeling forced into this. You'd want to do it. It's the right thing. There's a need. You're, you're compelled in a good way, not in a bad way what God would want. God would want you to do it willingly, not begrudgingly. A desire to give because God is given. I think that's what he gets, he's getting at, as God would have you. We could isolate that and, and some have and said, well, you should be the kind of leader God wants you to be. And that's true. But here it seems to be modifying what he's talking about. Do this willingly because that's what God would want. God has given you so much. And so if there's a need and you can meet the need in giving oversight, then, then you do that. I want those kind of leaders in my life who are doing it because they, they're, they're compelled in a good way to do it. They want to do it because they, they, they can and there's a need. I want those kind of people in my life. Not because they somehow feel like they have to. Then if we go on in verse 2, toward the end there, it says, not for shameful gain but eagerly, willingly. The idea is freely, willingly, not for shameful gain. That could include money, could include status, ego, those kinds of things. Leaders shouldn't be in it because of what it gives them. And we all understand sometimes how people who are leaders are egomaniacs and control freaks and they love to have authority in people's lives, and they love to manipulate, and they love to get people to do what they want them to do, and there's something very gross about that. Oftentimes the leader doesn't see it. Maybe they do. Oftentimes the person who's being domineered over doesn't see it, but others might. Those aren't the kind of people who are supposed to be shepherds under Christ's authority. Shameful gain. I think there are some super obvious ones like this, right? We see him on TV. Jesse Duplantis, did he get his $54 million jet? He's one of my favorite heretics to watch, just because it's so ridiculous. Jesse Duplantis, from Louisiana. I can't do it, but it's a disaster. I think he's on his fourth jet or his fifth jet for the Lord Jesus, because he knows Jesus wouldn't be on a donkey if he were around today. He'd be on a jet. I mean, right? We laugh. But there's a reason why he has the jet. Because a bunch of people don't realize or don't know or whatever that shameful gainers ought not be Christian leaders. That's the obvious one. But there, there's a big one that just happened in evangelicalism within the last few weeks has been exposed. It's a big train wreck. Curtain pulled back, shameful gain, shameful gain, shameful gain. 
Somebody once told me that I should model my ministry after that man that's just been exposed. We're not supposed to be those kind of people. Remember, it's the flock of God. Not for shameful gain. Eagerly, I want to do this. Somebody has a need. Somebody needs to know the Bible. I want to help them. How can I help? By God's grace, I know, I, I know what the answer is. I, I, can, can I help you do this? I'm eager. That's what we want to have. Now, I got a little bit ahead of myself because now we come to verse 3, not domineering over, not dominating over. I already kind of was talking about this because it was already on my mind. Uh, it has to do with masters. It has to do with abuse. It has to do with some translations might say lording it over, not domineering, not dominating over those in your charge or those in your portion, but being examples to the flock. So fellow sheep... Just like Peter's, hey, I'm a fellow elder. That should carry over. Now, as you're not domineering over, you're an example. You're, you're a fellow sheep belonging to the flock. This is what I was getting at earlier when I just talked about how it just can feed the ego. I just dominant. I'm in charge here. You do what I say kind of thing. He's saying that's, that's not what we're talking about. Just a couple of things about this and, and then we'll move on. But I do want to mention that I think this is easy to have happen when the pastor's wandering outside of what he's supposed to do. If the pastor's supposed to be doing what Jesus said. People are like sheep without a shepherd, so you teach them. The pastor is supposed to preach Christ. The pastor is supposed to point people to Christ. The pastor is to tell people the gospel, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All those kinds of texts. Not preaching ourselves, which is the habit of some, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but it's Him. Well, if you're doing that, it's really hard to be domineering over people. But if I am your professional therapist, counselor, dude, parent, gives you all of your life advice, it's a lot easier for me to domineer over you because I tell you what to do. You want to find one who's even more extreme, who's a dominator, domineering one, is the person who says this, God told me. You're just setting yourself up to be dominated. I can say, this is what the Word of Christ says. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ says. Here's His voice. You should follow Him if you're one of His sheep. But as soon as I say, God told me, now I'm in charge, now I'm the authority, and prepare to be dominated. Prepare to be spiritually abused is what's going to happen. We ought not do that. We ought not do that. I have authority. I don't have authority apart from what Christ says. This is why Christians have said they're, they're careful about it. I have ministerial authority. I have servant authority. I can only tell you authoritatively what God's Word says, and you're obligated to that. I can't say, I have authority over you. I'm going to tell you this, that, and the other thing. That's just abusive. That's just a power trip. 
There's a very di- big difference. This is, why, this is why, by the way, we had a Protestant Reformation. One of the reasons. Because we're talking about ministerial authority versus magisterial authority. And why one of the big issues with the Protestant Reformation is the freedom of the Christian. That was one of the major issues. Christians are free. Christians are free to make decisions. You can make all of the decisions you want. You should do whatever you want to do. And I should have nothing to do with whatever you want to do. Just go live your life. Enjoy Christian freedom. Except where the Bible says. No other authority other than that. And I kind of like that because I don't know a lot. You ask me something, I might say, well, here's my advice. You ask me something, I might say, you should probably ask someone else because I don't know much. You ask me something the Bible talks about, chapter and verse, thus saith the Lord. Otherwise, you're free. That's why we don't make up religious holidays. That's why we don't add extra kinds of things and obligate you to them. That's called bondage. That's called abuse of power. Christ is the chief shepherd. We have under-shepherds under him who are only allowed to say what he says because it's his flock that belongs to him. He died for you, I didn't. And so it's a huge, big deal. So if you're an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, remember you have no authority whatsoever other than the authority of Christ insofar as he has revealed himself. You should take that authority seriously. But the other stuff? Let's move on. Number six, sixth question. What must motivate the church leader? (laughs) Verse four answers it. Here's what should motivate us. Not that I have so many people I can control and manipulate and get to do what I want to do. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, right? The senior pastor. When the chief shepherd appears, the unrivaled shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's what it's about. That's what I'm looking for. That's why I'm trying to be careful not to tell you things that God didn't tell you. It's why I want to tell you what He did tell you or what He does say. And I want to serve in His name. And I want to be faithful in voluntaringly doing this, eagerly doing this, pointing you to Christ, not to me, not to others, but pointing you to Him and resting in the gospel. And all of this, what's driving me is one day Chief Shepherd is going to return. And I want that to be a good day, not a bad day. And that's been a theme throughout First Peter, right? To be faithful because he's coming back. Be faithful because he's coming back. Keep suffering even though it's hard because he's coming back. And when he does, you will be rewarded with glorification. And it's all going to be worth it. Keep trusting in Christ. And now he applies this to the pastors. It's the same for you, Pastor. You keep trusting in Him and you keep doing the right thing under His authority and when He comes back, just like for everyone else, you will receive not the fading crown of fame, not the fading crown of celebrity or whatever it is, or compliments. You will receive the unfading, the lasting crown of glory, which is glory. He's using it as a metaphor, right? You've won! And he uses a word not for a gold kind of crown, 
but for a crown made out of some kind of red plant, if I recall, in reading all the commentaries, that's going to fade. You might have won the, the game or whatever it is, the contest, and you're given this, this crown that's amazing to show everybody you're the winner, but it's fading. Well, this is the unfading crown, which is glory, which is unfading, which is when you're perfected and there's no more str- struggling anymore, and now you're not only a citizen of the New Jerusalem, you're in the New Jerusalem, fit for the New Jerusalem. That should motivate me. Not me having domination in your life because of any reason. It's not that. I want the approval of people. I want to be wanted. I like to be liked. I want only to ever affirm people. I don't ever want to suffer. And on the list could go. But what I really need to want most is the unfading crown of glory, which is what you're looking for too. We're peers. Number seven, what is the right response to elder oversight? What is the right response to elder oversight? And I don't mean oversight as in things they forgot about. Okay, Overseeing, care is the idea. How about verse five? Likewise, you who are younger. And I don't think he means literally here. I think he means everyone else. You have elders, and by the way, you could be younger and an elder, strangely enough, um, in light of Timothy, in First and Second Timothy. He's talking about a position, he's talking about an office where there's wisdom, which is oftentimes associated with being older. Elder, pastor, overseers, one category, and now he's talking about the everyone else in response to them. So he uses younger in that sense, in a non-literal sense, just like the crown is a non-literal sense, so I'm not committing any fouls here. Likewise, you who are younger, use you who are not the elders, be subject to the elders. Be subject is the answer to our question. Earlier in First Peter, we learned about order, we learned about equality, and yet with different roles. So there is order in things, whether it be government or home or whatever it might be, and now he's reintroducing that, and he's saying in the life of the church... You're to have elders and they're to meet these qualifications. They're to act a certain way. And in response, our response is to be subject to them, to be under their pastoral oversight, to be under their care. This is a hard one for us to swallow sometimes, harder for some than others. Because we, 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 we even are told by pastors we're supposed to be self-feeders. In the Bible, we're to be under care, oversight. So in this in-between time between Christ's ascension and His return where there's suffering and complexity and difficulty and confusion in our minds because this is not our forever home, the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd who gave His life for you, says through His apostle, in this in-between time, though I'm the chief shepherd, there are those who shepherd under me they, sh- they shepherd my flock and I want you to be under them, under their leadership, not independent Mr. and Mrs. Christian. That's all. It's pretty straightforward. I like to tell people, we just finished a, a new members class. Uh, I don't think I said it in there today. In fact, I know I didn't, but I, I, I tell people sometimes just straight up, find a church where you respect the leaders to the point where you could submit to their biblical leadership. 
Because you, and, and if you can't do that here, you need to find a church like that. Because with Christ's authority, I can tell you, you're to be subject to the overseer, bishop, pastor, elders. Subject to their ministerial authority. Feel free to remind me that my authority in your life is not magisterial. There won't be a test after to figure out the difference between the two. But insofar as the Bible speaks, those who are to provide and feed and care and protect you spiritually had better speak. And you had better respond. And I mean that in all the best way. I had better respond. sounds so harsh they're supposed to protect care feed nurture help us to grow I'm thankful that from where I sit we have those kinds of people at Omaha Bible Church I'm grateful I'm grateful that it's not a big ego fest I'm grateful for servant leaders who desire to help people and that's the motivator and it's a motivator designed to help people and that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and that's the payment. That's the payoff. That's the reward. It's not some kind of fame and fortune in the here and now. I'm grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that. I hope you are as well. I remember one time, how are we doing? We're, we're not doing. We need to be done. I won't tell you the story. I'll tell you the story. I was, you know, back when Starbucks was a new thing, you know, and I would like save my Starbucks cups because it cost me four bucks. You know, it was just like, <laughs> this Frappuccino was like a gold. So I would drink out of it all week long. I got a Starbucks cup. Now it's like, yeah, give me a break. So you know, those of you who are younger, sorry, but it used to be really cool. Um, I can remember studying at Starbucks one time and... Uh, just hanging out there, just trying to get things done and talking to someone. And they saw I was studying the Bible. And before you know it, this, there was a man and a woman, as I recall. And the woman came over and she gave me a MacArthur study Bible. She said, you know, the Lord laid it on my heart or whatever it was. God told me, I don't remember. But she said, I just wanted to give this to you. I feel moved to give this to you. And so I said, that was so nice of you. I try to be super kind and... And that was super generous. I'm very grateful. Um, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? You know? And I said, you know, I, I have a MacArthur Study Bible. Um, I didn't say I have the first edition. Uh, even with some mistakes that they took out. I didn't say that. I just, I said, you know, I actually have one. So if you'd like to give it to someone else, then, you know. Oh, no, I want you to have it. So I ended up giving it to someone else. I said, you know, I, I've got to ask you, what, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. There are no good churches. We just have church at home. And I said, well, I know John MacArthur personally, and he would tell you to go to church. You're welcome to come to Omaha Bible Church. Mic drop. 
Okay, I might have been feeling a little arrogant when I did it. I have to confess to you. Um, apparently, in God's wisdom, we, we, we need to not be self-shepherding during this complicated in-between time. We don't need manipulators in our life, but we do need people who love Christ and understand their place and true authority, ministerial authority, servant authority, who can help us. That's all. You understand. Number eight, what is to characterize all of us? What is to characterize all of us? The latter part of verse five, this leads us into next time as well, but it really is a good place to end. Clothe yourselves. What a good image that is. Obviously, again, not literally. Clothe yourselves, all of you, whether you're a leader or not a leader, whether you're an elder or a younger, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a great, great way for us to end. I can follow, I can lead, even if it costs me a lot, clothing ourselves with this. We should pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the faithful shepherd, who loved us and gave himself up for us. Thank you that he died for us even while we were his enemies. That he provided perfect forgiveness and atonement, resurrection, glorification, reconciliation, justification, all of these things that we've been adopted into your family by faith in him as our elder brother who deserves to be in the family, that we come because he deserves it. These are all great blessings to us and we're grateful to be able to be a part of a church that seeks to be this kind of church. Help us. Help us as we look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.